Triple H FM Sports in association with Atlas Chartered Accountants. The Post, Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports welcomes you to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. And now here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au available for download at podcast.com, triplehfm.com.au, and wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time ever, we are now also available on the iHeartRadio Network, so make sure you check that out as well. Anthony the Bull Caruso with you for the first time this year, and we are very excited to wrap up the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Let's put aside all the political discussions, all of the issues around whether it should have been there in the first place, and we are going to have a discussion purely about the football itself. We are, This is going to be so big, we have to go through two episodes, and today we're going to go through groups A through to D. I can't do this alone, so joining us tonight once again, and for the first time in 2023, is our Chief Football Correspondent, the Spicy Chorizo, Dom Rizzuto. Good evening to you. Good evening, Bull. Happy New Year to you and everyone out there. Well, God, what a World Cup that we had in the lead up to Christmas. There was so much drama and jubilation uh, to dissect, and I can't wait to review how once again we fared in uh, our predictions uh, on uh, this rendition of the uh, world's greatest tournament. Absolutely. Can't wait to, to go through that. Joining us once again from PCYC, Pimble, and our favourite and local number six, Luke Scarley. Good evening to you. Good evening, Anthony. Good evening, Dom. Good evening, listeners. Uh, I've spent a lot of time up in this World Cup, watched most of the games myself. I could not believe what happened in the end. Fantastic finish to another fantastic tournament. As you said, we'll put the uh, politics to the side. Um, and I'm, I'm very eager just to talk about the football, like you said. Uh, the ending pinched me. I still can't believe it happened, but it did. And it's going to go down as a piece of history of where were you when that happened? Oh, absolutely. We, we can't wait to get in. Can't wait to get into this competition. We've got the first half of the, the teams in, in group order. We'll go through how they went in the group stages and if they then made it in the knockout stages, how they went afterwards. There's a few discussion points there, along with Dom, of course, our world-famous report card rating. Yes, I'm looking forward to uh, running the rule over some of these teams. Some surprises, some obvious uh, gradings were given out, and I'm going to have a look and see how all of the teams fared in uh, Qatar this year. Well, absolutely. For the first time this year, the official is out there in the middle now, and I can confirm to you that we've... um, We've pulled him out of retirement. Pierluigi Colina is going to be the referee today. We've pulled him out of retirement. Here he is, the world's greatest. Oh, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get started. For the first time in 2023, this is Splinters. I'm going to kick things off here tonight with our first team in Group A. And Dom, not only is it our first F of the night... Indeed, of these two episodes, I'm pretty sure this is our thanks for coming award to Qatar. Well, it's it's thanks for coming. For uh, or I guess it's, it's it, you have to change it this year. It's thanks for hosting instead of thanks yeah. for coming because uh, they didn't have to go very far um, to get back home. 
uh, in this uh, rendition of the World Cup Qatar. They put on a wonderful event uh, for the other teams that turned up, but uh, their football was uh, sort of better way of putting it is woeful throughout uh, the three games that they played. And I, what I didn't quite understand by the host nation was they didn't even look like they were trying a lot of the time. Now, I know we've had a couple of World Cups now where the host nation isn't exactly a footballing powerhouse. But on this occasion, you and on most occasions that it has happened, you've seen the minnows at least and the hosts get up for the matches that they played. And they didn't have a particularly challenging group. Let's just be honest here. And they really just didn't feel like turning up. I think they they were overawed by the occasion. Um, their team itself is, you know, whether or not they're all born bred uh, members of the Qatar nation is another question altogether. Um, and that team that won the Asia Cup most recently um, doesn't seem to be quite the same as this one that they fielded in. 2022, but one of, I, I think, probably the worst host nation performances, if not the worst host nation performance of all time. Well, Luke, we can confirm that in case that it is the worst performance by a host nation in the history of the Men's FIFA World Cup. They were terrible. And I think after this, everyone should be left in no doubt what football pedigree there is with Qatar. Well, exactly right. Uh, terrible is the word. Uh, they, were, they were awful in all aspects, offensively, defensively. Uh, as you said, the thanks for coming, the thanks for hosting award, uh, well and truly will stay with them forever because I don't see anyone else performing as bad as they have in the major tournament. They were there seemingly just because they were the host nation, obviously, uh, and they just felt like, or it seemed like watching it through the television, that they were there just for the spectacle of the event um, and making up the numbers to get that uh, tournament in their host na- in their in their nation. Uh which is a sad thing to see when it comes to a World Cup. You see other teams miss out from South America, from Europe, um, from you know Africa as well. There's some good nations that missed out uh, to, to a spot that they could have had if Qatar wasn't hosting. But I guess that, that's the pleasures that you have of being the host nation. We then move on to Ecuador, whom we predicted third, came third. Dom, they gave, I gave them a C-. They started well after a, a comfortable win against Qatar and a solid one-all draw, but they just didn't seem to be able to put games away when they needed to, and their ma- game manager throughout the three matches were really was really lacking. Well, I disagree with that. They they put away Qatar, they drew the Netherlands, and it was really just a, a bit of a choke in their last game. Um, they relied heavily on Enna Valencia up front, who was astounding, and God, I didn't even know he still played. Uh, quite frankly, it was amazing to see him uh, put the boots on again and uh, and go out there and and take his nation forward. What a legend, but didn't quite have it. I mean, they'd be disappointed. I think they should have gotten through to the round of 16, uh, considering their performances in the first two games. But yeah, they just uh, they fell apart in that uh, final game to Senegal, who uh, managed to to squeeze through. But for a side that we weren't really expecting much of. In all fairness, I think they provided a, a relatively decent performance. I think a C minus is a little harsh. I would have said a C. And Do- and Luke, the the question we've got now is: Can Ecuador kick on from this, or do we see them dropping back? Now, considering as well that we may not see much more of Ena Valencia in this lineup. 
that's a hard question to answer, uh, Anthony, because of the reliance they had on Anna Valencia. Like Dom said, I don't know who he's playing. He's just a name of the past, a name that's fun to roll off the tongue because he's played in multiple clubs and multiple leagues. But he was simply superb. That first game I know was Qatar where he got that double. Uh, but you only can beat what's in front of you. And he performed adequately to a team that we didn't expect anything from. He got his goals. He did his job as a striker. Uh, they got those four points in the table. Giving them a C minus, I'm going to give them higher like Dom has. I'm actually going to give them a B. Uh, but just because of the potential, they could have actually almost finished first in this group if they'd won that last game. Uh, unfortunately not. And they obviously go out because of that. But realistically, they should kick on because of what they could have inspired from this performance. But again, if they can't find someone to replace Enna Valencia, because realistically, he's not going to be at any more major tournaments with his age, uh, then they might just stay exactly on track of where they are or dip down a little bit because of that South American qualification is very, very difficult to get out of. We then move on to Senegal, uh, a C plus, although I think Dom might turn around and say that that's probably harsh again. They got eliminated in the round of 16. I think, Luke, the first thing that has to be said is how well they did, considering they did it with no Edouard Mendy and no Sadio Mane. Yep, and that's exactly why I'm going to give them a little bit higher rating than the C. I'm again going to give them a B. Uh, they they all performed very adequately for the loss of their big names like Mane and Mendy. It's never easy having to replace a goalkeeper right on tournament start. Uh, most of the ho- the main nations that do well always have that top tier goalkeeper that can keep them in games. And to change that right before the tournament and lose your superstar, the man that's bringing the the butts to the seats, as they say, uh, that was a, that was a tough blow for them, but. Kaladul Koulibaly, he was sensational. He led from the back. He did stuff offensively I don't think I've ever seen him do. Um, he, w- he was a solid rock, and he got them some of their points, uh, saved them a few times. And then getting out of out of the group, we expected it. Uh, no African nation, we'll talk about Morocco later, had qualified past the round of 16 ever. So I didn't expect them to go further than that anyway. Uh, and they obviously didn't. But... That was a very, very good performance from uh, what they were lacking in the in the field due to injuries. And, and Dom, what what could have been if it wasn't for injuries to their key players? Um, they looked they looked the goods, and I think this I think Senegal is starting to shape up to become a genuine powerhouse over the next few years. Yeah, I think you guys hit the nail on the head. You know, they were incredibly unlucky with the injuries that they had in the end to the squad. Obviously, Sadio Mane the big out and who had been in terrific form for Bayern Munich in the build-up to the tournament obviously didn't quite work out for him. But I still think they did really well. I think a C-plus is is relatively fair. Maybe a C, I thought. I didn't think they played all that convincingly. It took a kind of miracle kind of result in the final qualifying game to finish the job uh, for... Uh, for them, but still, I think, as I mentioned, with the lack of quality that they uh, were missing in, in the build-up to the tournament, I still think they did very well. And I think, like you said, Caruso, they're, they're setting up for a, for a decent future. We then move on, Luke, to the Netherlands, and we predicted them first. They finished first, so we can. I'm happy to say, for Group A, we got off with 100. percent So great start all round for the tips. Uh, 
you know, I gave them a B plus. They looked okay in the group stages, expected to win, which they did so. Uh, and although they got ended up getting bundled out in, in the quarterfinals, it has to be said that given where they'd been over the last eight years, Louis van Gaal has done a very good job in restoring some pride in this Dutch outfit. Uh, yes, the, the, the group stage was a uh, formality from my mind. Uh, I think I remember us all predicting they would be very well equipped to getting out of this group in first place. Cody Gakpo, I gassed him up before the tournament, said how great he was. He actually performed. That was one of my little highlights of my predictions. Uh, it's actually earned him a, a new contract across across the board to Liverpool. So I know I know I love Liverpool, and I've said it to you too many, many times, annoyingly. <laughs> um, that's a little good one for us, uh, which he, he, he was superb. He's an adequate replacement for any Dutch striker that's been in the past. Uh, he knows how to run. He knows how to score goals. He's very good physically. Um, so I was very happy with how he performed. Out of the group stage, like, what can what can you say about them? They, they they performed better than some people would have thought. They had that miraculous, you know, two two comeback, and it was Weghorst doing wonders, just bring him off the bench. Um, you know what what can you do about that? Lose on pens, but I'm pretty happy with what I'm seeing. They're still pretty young, and I, I think they can go they can go again in the Euros or the next World Cup. Dom. I was actually bitterly disappointed uh, in the end. Um, I thought that obviously they were strong in the group stages as they were predicted to be. They were pretty poor against Ecuador. Obviously, they had a couple of stars announce themselves, the likes of Cody uh, Gakbo, um, which was aforementioned before. But I think in typical Dutch fashion, they choked. Um, you know, the eventual World Cup winners who we did go on to win the World Cup, and I have an opinion on them later, uh, of course, I didn't think they were that strong throughout the the tournament in particular, and I thought it was an opportunity for Netherlands, who had the easiest of the groups, who would say out of the big teams uh, alongside uh, Argentina, they did cross, and it would have been a cruisy run had they got past an Argentina side who struggled to beat Australia. Um, I thought when I remember we mentioned on the bench that after the the game Argentina played that you know they play like that against the Dutch, they'll get thrashed, and the Dutch just didn't turn up. They didn't turn up for 80 minutes and it was a couple of fortunate free kicks um, that went their way that saw them uh, draw level. And then on penalties, they were woeful and they clearly weren't ready for the occasion. Uh, and I thought it was another disappointing end to an opportunity for the Dutch. I think kind of there's a few squads, a couple of the bigger nations that really underperformed in this uh, uh, World Cup. I think a B is fair. I, you think if you qualify through the group, you get a B, but... I actually am actually sliding more towards B minus. I expected higher of the Dutch when I saw their group, and then I saw the the way that the draw was panning out for them, and they failed to deliver once again at a big tournament. If the way when you're saying something like that is the way they came back against Argentina, if they got through that game, would you believe they still played poor? Because no, I don't think they played. Really, I don't think they. I don't think they was poor. right. I think poor is not is not the right word. I think they they were a good team. Don't get me wrong, they played good football, but yeah. in the big moments, Holland have a tradition of not stepping up. I can name countless of games that they've lost on, particularly on penalties. We all laugh at how the English struggle on penalties, right? We'll get to that a little bit later on as well. But Holland have a, have a pretty shocking record too. Uh, last World Cup, um, 
I can't remember where they where they bowed it there, but I know the World Cup before that they lost on penalties in 2014. Who to Argentina? Um, the, yeah. I can think of a disappointing exit in the round of 16 in Germany, where they lost one nil to a pretty average Portugal team. No, um, 20, 2010, and then in 2010 they lost to Spain in the final. Yeah. in a yeah. very okay, dour game. In a dour game, in a game where they yeah. should have won, had Avi and Robin actually put the ball in the back of the net with his two one-on-ones, if you could see it, 2,000 euros. They lost on penalties to Italy. They were up with an extra player the entire match. In major tournaments, in key moments, they do not turn up. They are a fantastic side to watch. They're one of the more entertaining sides. I think they're more entertaining than the likes of a Germany or a Spain to watch. But they always, kind of like England... They just falter in these big moments. They were on paper and were playing the better football than Argentina were in the lead up to that match. And in that game, they didn't turn up. Now, I don't yeah. know if it's a lack of not playing some decent sides in the build up to the tournament, so on and so forth, and not having the occasion. Like you said, they're a young squad. But I thought that once again, there was an opportunity for them there. And I'll say the same with England a bit later on that actually you can say, yeah, nicely done. You got to the, got to the quarterfinals, we're out of 16. But Realistically, I didn't think they were that good. Let's move on now to Group B. And if we thought we thought Group A was a great start in terms of our predictions, and this is when it started getting ugly straight away. <laughs> now, for Group B, just to let everyone know, I got 25%. Luke and Dom got 0%. <laughs> uh, but can big, I say... Big raps there, Anthony. Big raps there. Oh, massive, massive raps. <laughs> you know, this is, this is the moment where I might finally beat Dom in, in predicting something for football. Finally, maybe. Get out of here. I don't know. Hang on. I got 0%, you're saying? Yes. So I said that England wouldn't come first. Uh, oh, no, you Dr. did. Sorry. No, no. No, you didn't. You said Wales would come first. No, I didn't. There's no way that I'd predict Wales over my own nation. I'm pretty sure the Wales prediction, close my eyes, pretend it wasn't me, but I think that was me. <laughs> that was you, was it, Luke? Oh dear! Let's go. Was. Well, let's go. That's the way I took Wales over England. I knew that would get a roll out of him straight away. So bring up the tape. Bring up the tape. Uh, yes, 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 yes. I did. Um, England, you know, predicted first, finished first. Um, but Dom, it has to be said. You know, they ran right early on, but it was a false dawn dawn for England because they really made hard work of the of the rest of the comp of the um of the World Cup and did the bare minimum of what was expected of them really. Uh, yeah, it was a really interesting World Cup for for England in the group stages. It was actually the reverse of what um, I found the reverse of what you usually get with England and. Being obviously um, kind of my second team after Italy, um, they are, you know, um, painful to watch, but they're usually pretty strong through the first three matches of the tournament because they usually get a good run of fixtures like this group that they had in front of them. They obviously uh, were, you know, had that difficult game against the US, but against Iran and Wales, you know, they, they, they put up what they needed to do, but it wasn't exactly. Um, or inspiring and then weirdly and against Senegal they they actually won in a, without dominating possession and it was just a couple of goals on the counter and I actually think Senegal kind of played their 
final before that game in that game against Ecuador and you could see that they just didn't have the pace to go another game like the England players did, um, having a bit more of a quicker group stage um, or sorry, a cruisier group stage um, scenario. But much like Holland, um, and, but again, weirdly in this situation, the game that actually they played the best in, they ended up losing, which was the France game. They were better than France over those 90 minutes of football. They played better football. They were more enterprise uh, in their attack. They looked like they wanted to get the win. France had about two or three opportunities, and they just happened to score them both. Uh, now, I know England didn't create a lot of chances, and they relied on those two penalties, which Harry Kane joins a long line of uh, <laughs> eligible bachelors who have missed an, <laughs> a penalty for England. But that was the game they actually played really well in, and then they faltered in it, which was a bit of a shame, uh, I guess, from uh, a fan's perspective. But... Once again, I know people will clap and say that Southgate did an okay job, blah, 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 so on and so forth. I know France went on to eventually be in the final. But once again, extremely frustrating for England because France were there for the taking. They had them, and they just couldn't convert it. I think Southgate, once again, made the wrong choices in the game. He made incorrect substitutions. He made them too late. Oh, I thought they played too defensively again. All of a sudden, everyone's talking about how good Harry Maguire was again. And I'm like, why? I mean, like, because he kept a clean sheet against Iran and Wales. I'm like, well done. Both one of the biggest clubs in the world, so you should. Um, I thought they were decent. I thought a B was fair enough. They fell short again, though. As I mentioned, some teams just have, like, that kind of knack for just falling over at the wrong moments. And England did it again in the World Cup. And look, we've seen that a little bit now with England as of late. Gareth Southgate has really proven himself to be a very good man manager, but he just doesn't have the tactical nous to be able to take England further. It's a little bit of both. He's very, very good at managing the players. As you said, he knows how to get them on side. He knows how to make them happy so that they perform well. But it just seems like there's just a little bit of a ceiling for England uh, for now, and it seems like forever they've been at that ceiling. They can get there, but they just can't break through it. They're they're just on the outer edge of those elite elite nations. When you just say World Cup winners, who's going to win it? It's England doesn't come straight into your head first up or in the top five, unless you're an England supporter or you just die hard about the way they play. We 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 discussed prior to the tournament about how England is going to set up. Are they going to play with two defensive midfielders? I know that happened a lot. You know, Rice was in there and Hendo was in there and they just played very, very drop back one defense kind of setup. And it was quite odd to see because you've got so such good attacking talent. You know, Rashford played exceptional for games. Foden's in there. You got Sterling who can do a job and they just didn't allow them to be as free as I would have liked. If they just said against France, hey, boys, our back three or our back four or however we're going to set up with our two midfielders dropping into the defense as well. We're just going to let them control the back line. You guys go and just be free. They could have easily trounced France. Don mentioned it perfectly. It was there for the taking. It could have racked up a 4-1 because Mbappe might have just done something like he always does and gets a goal. Once you're into that next stage there of that semifinal against Morocco, you know, Morocco, valiantly, great. They did awesome. But England were better than them overall. 
Uh, the attacking talent was too much for a Moroccan side, and they could have made it all the way to the final. Not saying they would have won. So England people and England fans settle down. But there's an overhype, it seems, that they're very, very good in the group stage. And then when it comes to a game where something needs to change tactically to be, all right, we can just get one goal and we can we can see this out. Uh, Southgate doesn't seem to have that mindset of just allowing it to happen like that. Dom said it as well. Substitutions. My gosh, what were you doing? When were you making these subs? He changed positions when either it was too late or it was not the right sub to make at the time, making a defensive sub when you're losing a game. Uh, just just odd things. And it's just that they're just at that ceiling where quarterfinals is probably where they're going to make it most of the time. We then move on to Iran, Luke, who we predicted four. Everyone predicted fourth. They end up finishing third. But it has to be said, they were far from convincing even in that unexpected 2-0 win against um, Wales where they both got both goals deep in injury time. Yep. The only reason why they got those goals, because Wales was shocking. Um, I said they were going to come first in the group, Wales. They were abysmal. Uh, we'll talk about Wales in a second, but Iran, you know, representing the uh, Asian Federation well in most tournaments. Uh, for this one, not so much. That game against Wales was actually very exciting. I remember watching it and it was it was a good game to watch with how it ended. Uh, very, very, very late goals. Add 10 lates onto that because I think there was 21 minutes of extra time or something crazy like every match had in the World Cup. Um, but they just didn't perform very well against against the others. That drubbing they took to England in the first game, sure, they got another two goals in that one. It looked like they could have scored. But six goals in one game, that's in the in the first game, in fact, that's that's never going to set you off on the right foot, uh, which is which is disappointing. Uh, only only Qatar performed worse than them in terms of the Asian Federation contingent, um, which actually was a very strong outing. Uh, but there's nothing really else to say than they performed as we expected. Uh, it was just Wales that was worse and played way below what they could have that made Iran look better. Dom, I mean, what do you say about Iran? They look like, like Qatar. They were out of their depth in the competition. Yeah, they were. I didn't think they played necessarily badly, but they definitely weren't strong, if that makes sense. So I think that uh, that game against Wales was um, a bit of an anomaly. I think uh, I think Wales just went in a bit too cocky, and I think that's what undid them in the end. I think they were just going to roll over Iran. But obviously, that's the worst thing to do in football. But they did... Um, sort of fail to, to, I guess, play a little bit more enthusiastically in periods. But in the end, they were unlucky. They fell short just to the US in the end. I think they had a reasonably decent tournament. I wasn't expecting them to finish much higher than what they did. And I think at the end, you'd, you'd probably take that in the end. But yeah, I think they'll be looking to come back uh, in four years' time and probably have a, a red-hot crack that will you know, get their fans off the seat a little bit more. We then move on to the USA and Dom. I don't think anyone would have seen the US getting out of this, getting out of this group, let alone actually managing to put up a fight at least trying to push on. They got knocked down in the round of 16 against the Netherlands. But I think for the first time in the last time, first time in a long time, we can say that the USA far from disgraced themselves. 
No, I think they've got a good future, the US team. They've got some good young talent there. I think if they can build on that, they're going to be in a really good sort of position. I think I think much like uh, Australia in some respects, it's probably a bit of the, how do I say it, the tactical part of their game isn't quite there yet. You still see that they kind of play the US way of playing football. It's very forward all the time. It's very quick. It's very fast. Kind of like how Australia kind of plays. Very fast. It's very forward. But it doesn't quite have that kind of tactical uh, now. So it's like if we run hard and work hard, we'll get results. And sometimes that doesn't quite work in football. You need a little bit of tactics. It can work in for, uh, in certain scenarios. But eventually when you come up against bigger and better opposition, like they did in the Dutch in that round of 16 game, they got undone. But I think that they've got a great squad there alongside Christian Pulisic. You've got that, uh, that Rainer in there. Um, that guy who scored, who, uh, Tim Way, who scored up front, who scored a couple of nice goals as well. A couple of them are playing in Europe at the moment now. They're setting up the right platform. They're just not quite there yet. But this is, I think, a great sign of what things that have come out of the US because realistically, being that close to South America... They should have some good football players. Not only that, Luke, but when you, when you consider the quality of, of footballing nations just to the south of them, you would expect the USA to normally be a little bit more competitive. Thankfully now, they, they, they appear to have turned a corner and it seems like culturally football in the US is now starting to gain momentum. Definitely. Uh, I was a bit, a bit worried about the pre-tournament talk we had. I wasn't sure how they were going to play. I wasn't sure about the tactics they were going to go with or the setup or the structure they were going to, they were going to lay out. Uh, but they were very, very good. They've got a very big uh, engine of players uh, would probably be the best way to describe it uh, in the midfield. You know, they can run for days. They're good defensively. They can actually move the ball, which was surprisingly how well they passed in patches. Uh, just like Dom said, like Australia, there's some good forward momentum coming off this one. Uh, which is uh, an above expectation finish in my mind. I know most people would have thought, yeah, they can get out of this group uh, and then maybe they'll just go out in the round of 16. But I think the way they played and what they did in that group itself uh, and the players that they not blooded because they've already played games, Tim Weyer, Pulisic, you know, Tyler Adams, they're always going to be players that you've heard of before because they're playing in big nations and they've obviously got a spot pretty much permanently in that national side. Uh, but they were very, very good, and I was, I was very surprised. And I'm actually eager to see what they can, what they can do from here on out, uh, with their links to Mexico and that Central American kind of competitions. They could actually blood some players that are actually uh, American playing in those comps, and then move them over to the to Europe or somewhere else that's a higher level of competition. Bring them back for the national team, uh, and they could, they could, you know get out of the round of 16 quite easily in the next the next World Cup. We then move on. I think what could be possibly, Luke, the second F given for the, the wrap-up here, and it goes to Wales. Well, my A-plus, great, great prediction of first turned out <laughs> to be the worst one. <laughs> Actually, there was a, my mistake. There was one worse that I predicted. One worse. We'll get to that later, <laughs> Denmark. Well, let's go on Wales. They were terrible. Um, Gareth Bale, what a disappointment. Just just go back to the golf course. I don't ever want to see that guy ever again on my screen. 
He was shocking. He just didn't look enthused at all, despite how well he played in the qualification. All those games where he was sitting on the bench for Real Madrid and said, hey, I want to play for Wales. I just want to do that. And then he goes and he scores doubles here and he's freakish, free kicks and he's running. He's supposedly injured and then he's running 15 kilometers in a game. None of that showed up. They They were shocking in game one. The Iran game, they showed a bit. It was a fun game, but they ultimately lost that third game. They knew they weren't going to probably get anything out of it. They gave up on that one, despite having a draw in there. Uh, that It was just terrible. Like, realistically, that was probably one of the worst performances from a nation that we expected to actually be capable. Um, definitely an F um, from mine. F for my prediction as well. They didn't even care about playing England, the old enemy. Um, Nothing else to say, but just poor. Poor from me, predicting. Poor from my blind eyesight on how great Gareth Bale is. And just poor, poor, poor. Dom, what what can be said about this? Not only was it a, a poor performance all around, but given the age of a lot of these, a lot of the players in this Welsh lineup, this is surely the end of their World Cup window. Uh, I, I think it's, yeah, 100%. I think it's the end. I mean... When we say window, the window was barely open in the first place, wasn't it? This is the first World Cup that they've qualified for in what? Ever or a long time, to say in the a least? Very, in a, very, a very long time, and it'll be the last to one have, to qualify for. I'd have like one of the greatest players in Bale ever to get to that World Cup, so I don't think they're getting back anytime soon unless another one comes out. Yeah, they had a look, they had a great Euros, right? We all appreciated the Euros that they had. Um but realistically, did they have a you know a window in the first place to kind of harp on about? I don't think so, really. Um, this was when it you know it was kind of meant to be um, uh, kind of like I guess that year for them, but it never came through, did it? Um, and yeah, I don't think they'll qualify for another World Cup for a very long time now. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have part two. Of well, the second half of part one, I should say, of the wrap of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. You are listening to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, triplehfm.com.au, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be right back. It's time for the crew to catch their breath. We'll be back after this short break. Do you think the government deserves more of your hard-earned money? If not, make sure you talk to Atlas Chartered Accountants. Atlas Chartered Accountants makes sure the money you earn stays in your pocket through legal tax planning strategies, from finding that last tax deduction to tax-effective business structures for asset protection purposes so you can invest in what really matters, your family and business. Visit their website at ihatetax.com.au. Atlas Chartered Accountants. They are dedicated to you and dedicated station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Your local RSL is at the heart of every community and there is none better in the Hornsby Karingai area than the Hornsby RSL. Whether you're planning a major event, dinner with family or friends or having a quiet night at your local, Hornsby RSL is the place to be. Rediscover what enjoying life is all about with regular weekly events, special entertainment and some of the best eateries in Sydney, we have you covered for a great night out. 
As always, drink responsibly. Support the club that supports. Come to Hornsby RSL at 4 High Street, Hornsby or get in touch on 947777 and at hornsbyrsl.com.au. The Hornsby RSL. Proud station sponsors of Triple H, 100.1 FM. Want to look your sporting best on and off the field? Then make sure you get kitted out with ISC Sport Teamwear. ISC Sport are Australia's leading name in custom sports uniforms with a wide range of sportswear tailored to your team's needs. 100% Australian-owned and fully customisable, ISC Sport cover all four winter codes and cricket, basketball, netball and hockey, as well as training and outerwear, ensuring you look the part when representing your community. As Don Rizzuto would say, look sharp and play pretty with ISC Sport. Visit their website, iscsport.com, for more information. ISC Sport, official clothing partners of Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. Looking for a fun night out with family and friends? Then come to the hidden gem in the Hornsby Coringai area, the Attic. Located inside Hornsby RSL, the Attic provides all the fun and excitement you can expect from a bowling and arcade bar in an intimate location that ensures a real gaming experience for everyone. With four 10-pin bowling lanes, Australia's first augmented reality bowling experience and a selection of traditional and custom-built arcade games, the Attic is the place to let your inner child run wild. So make sure you book your next night out at the Attic at 4 High Street Hornsby. Call them on 94777777 or book via their website at theattichornsby.com.au. The Attic, part of Hornsby RSL, station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Welcome back to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. Welcome back to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, triplehfm.com.au, iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. Anthony Caruso with Dom Rizzuto and Luke Scarley as we talk through the 2022 FIFA World Cup wrap. We're into the second half of part one. Yes, it is that big. We've got to go over two parts for this wrap-up and we're going to move on now to Group C where... Luke and myself got 50%. Dom, you swept it. That's why they call me the chief football correspondent (laughs) (laughs) of this fine podcast. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Let's get straight into it. And we got the first team up, which is Argentina. We predicted them to finish first. They came first. They won the champ. They became champions for the third time. And Dom, there's nothing else you can give them but an A+. But, geez, they had to do it the hard way early on. Well, what a tournament for Argentina. I mean, so much could be um, said about this team, um, really. I First of all, big congratulations. I'm happy that they won. I It was a who-do-I-hate-more kind of final between Argentina and France, but I'm glad Argentina won because we could finally get this ridiculous debate out of the way between who is the greatest, Messi or Ronaldo. I think now... It has been proven that Messi is that <laughs> title and we can finally move on from that. However, did I think they're the most dominant champions to ever grace uh, our vision? Nope. I don't oh, think God, so. No, I they were, oh, I God, no. were pretty fortunate um, to uh, to win the tournament. Like you said, they did it the hard way, two penalties. Um, they lost their opening game against... Uh, Saudi Arabia in that uh, real shock of the tournament. And then 
I don't know, just didn't play that exciting. They just kind of relied on Messi to produce results for them. And that's what he did. But by God, I was pretty surprised that they were kind of allowed to to do it, to win in such fashion in the end. But big ups to them. They played the moment. Messi, again, what a tournament he had. He put up some insane numbers. And I tell you what, that's, you know, it was amazing, really, what he did. Um and, uh, and it has so, to be yeah, said as well. well. And it has to be said as well, Luke, that what Argentina did very well was that although they looked far from convincing a lot of their games, their efficiency in front of goal was dangerous. And a lot of games they didn't have many chances, but they were so good at taking the chances, at least putting their shots on target, that they asked uh, questions even when they weren't playing that well. Well, that was kind of after uh, Lautaro Martinez was dropped um, and Julian Alvarez took over. Messi obviously was always going to produce something. I know people have said, oh, he never produces on the big stage. He always flops. Ha, ha, ha. Ronaldo's better and all that nonsense. The man just does things that no one else can do. He turns people inside out. His body faints move universes. He just sells the ball magically. And some of those moves that he put on for other people to score goals and have impact on the game, he brought others like Alvarez up to a level that no one expected. He doesn't play for Manchester City. He's 19 or something years old. I can't remember exactly. Maybe he's 20 now. I'm not sure. He made him look like a world beater. Uh, And that's one thing that Messi does great. Obviously, he got all his numbers and it was a fairy tale. It was just like some movie script that someone wrote up. Let's have some hard times in the quarterfinals. Let's be so dominant that Netherlands have no shots and then somehow screwed up at the end uh, only to get through and give everyone a heart attack. Then destroy Croatia in that semifinal where they were simply superb. Like That was probably the best I'd seen them ever play in a knockout phase of any competition, at least in the time that Messi's been there. And then again, completely dominate the the final up until that 80th minute, then somehow find a way to to, to make you sit on the edge of your seat for the next two hours because the game went for five and a half hours, uh, which was ridiculous. But they were it was, as we said, not the most dominant. They weren't killing off people or killing off teams every game. They lost their first game. Uh, there was just newspaper articles about everything that's going to be bad about this team and how they're not going to get out. They somehow got through, uh, and it's just massive congratulations that it was actually uh, a win in the end of the whole tournament. Not much else that can really be said about that. The, the final record that people sort of passed, missed out um, on mentioning as well is that Lionel Messi, with his appearance in the final, also broke one of the longest-standing records that we have seen in football which is the most appearances in matches at World Cup in history. That record had been held by Dom. Get ready for this. Lotta Mataus from West Germany and Germany made 25 appearances, and his last appearance was 1998. And that record had st- that record had stood for, I think, 40 years 
until Messi finally broke it with the, his yeah. appearance in the final. You, you have to be a workhorse to get those kind of numbers. I love your pronunciations of names, Caruso, as well. Uh, it's very nice <laughs> to hear on the ears. For a second, I didn't actually understand who we were talking about. Um, but, you know, I get a, I got the got the understanding of it. Um, but, yeah, Messi, Messi breaking that record, it's going to be hard to break. You're going to have to make five World Cups and play all the way to the final in at least three of them because Messi made the final in two or five and... You know, if someone's going to break that record, they're going to have to make the final three times, which is near, I'm not going to say impossible, but unless it's Mbappe that does it, like he's got plenty of years left and he's already made two finals. Uh, he'd probably take the goal scoring record as well. But that is a, a another notch, notch to his belt to say why he can just do things that no one else can. Dom, does Messi go around again? Uh... He's 35. He'll be 39 for the next World Cup. I don't think so. I think he – you can't – you've got to retire on a high, don't you? Yep. Really. I think this is uh, um, his moment. He got it. You know, he you know he could, I guess, in, in theory. He would still be, I guess, a player who, who's playing in a reasonably decent competition. Four years is a long time, right, to, to get there. I mean – I guess one of the things I would say would hint towards him playing next World Cup is that he is going to America to play in a, for into Miami David Beckham's uh, outfit. Now, if I'm in America, the man, the man, who, loves, the man in, who loves everyone. If I've got America, if I've got the World Cup in 2026. And he's been playing in the tournament for four years. You really want him playing, don't you? Oh, totally. So maybe that's why, maybe that's the move. Go and get him to play in that tournament. Go to America, play in America, and then lead the line for us. Um, Or just maybe, I don't know, maybe retire and be the coach. Hmm. Or have him in the squad. He may not play many minutes, but you have him there just to have him there. And he might just come off the bench as like a, an impact player. When well, there's you a need guy it. in the NBA who plays for the Miami Heat called Udonis Haslam. I don't know if anyone knows him. He's 47. He's just a roster guy. They keep him in the squad. He motivates the younger players. He educates them. And he's kind of a coach, half coach, non-playing you know, role. That could be messy. He could do the promotion for the for the tournament. He could be playing in the US at that stage. And then he could just be a you know, 26-man squad. They usually have. Some teams only took 24 this year. And they played 21 players. You know, you could easily fit Messi in there if he wants to stay that long. Like Dom said, I would retire on a high. I'd play one more year at the national stage. And then just before the qualification for the next World Cup starts, I would actually retire. Not just so it's not taking away from anyone in the next one. You don't want to go through the whole qualifying phase and then retire at 38, and then have someone else has to fill your shoes, and it's all about Messi's retirement come come mm. the next time round when you're defending your title. Well, let's move on to our next nation in the in the group. It is Saudi Arabia. We all of us predicted that they would finish last, and indeed they did finish last. But it has to be said, Luke. They consider that they can consider themselves unlucky to have not gone out of this group because they went within a whisker of it. They definitely did. That first game against Argentina set them up for something big. They could have got out of the group 
uh, another one from the Asian Confederation, getting out, getting out of that phase. You know that late one against Mexico. Um, you know, unfortunate that they didn't get that win. I believe. I think it was a loss. Or was it a? It draw? was a two-one loss. Yes, to Mexico. It was a one loss. Uh, I didn't watch that game to be honest. I wasn't really invested in anything else besides Argentina in this group. Uh, they they did some did some okay things. They represented well. Uh, but like we we all we all had we want we thought they were going to come last in the group and they did. Despite that, Dom, we gave I gave them a C plus. I thought they were you know valiant in their efforts. Salim Al Dasari um, almost played as a second striker and actually popped up and proved more than nuisance value in this competition. Yeah, they had a you know obviously a, an amazing moment when they beat Argentina in that game, which was. Something to be admired, obviously, but uh, they after that they were pretty poor, weren't they? Um, yeah. They did. I think they just they had their public holiday as a nation, and then they uh, didn't, you know, I guess, <laughs> but come off that public holiday, did they? Um, unfortunately <laughs> for them, but you know, they was they were entertaining in that aspect, I guess. But I would be, I would be uh, vitally just kind of really disappointed. They. They finished, they beat Argentina and they still came last. I mean, does that make them the World Cup, you know, winners? <laughs> Good question. We should throw that to A-League memes. What do you think? Oh, I mean, Unless no, they give it to Qatar. Qatar yeah, has 0-0 or- and 0 on their score stats. Oh, God. If Qatar was a, if Qatar was a Formula 1 driver, it would be clearly Nicholas Latifi, let's face it. Um, let's move on to... Let's move on to Mexico. Everyone except Dom thought they were going to get out of this group. Dom predicted they would fall at the end and finish third, and that is exactly what happened. Well played to you, Dom. And I've got to say, they were very disappointing and at the same time were two minutes away from qualifying as well. Yeah, look, they were so close, weren't they? I mean, I I guess I count myself kind of lucky that I – I ended up uh, getting this one because realistically they, you know, only just missed out, didn't they? Um, but I just still thought they didn't, they were a squad that was a bit of a, kind of like a nothing squad, if that's kind of the, the harshest way to say it. Um, but uh, they, um, they, you know, they did the job in the end, but uh, not good enough really. Um, but when I say... They were they were fun, but not too fun. If that makes sense. And Luke, it, what was incredible in terms of this situation was if Saudi Arabia did not score that late goal, which knocked it would have Mexico would have gone through instead of Poland, but it would have been probably the most extraordinary of circumstances in terms of how level it was between Poland and Mexico. It was uh, pretty much the same squad, really. I think we said it before the tournament began. The previews. They had some big names, but everyone played a, a stupid amount of games for the national team. They were very, very old squads. Uh, it showed that all the goals they can see seem to come at the end of the games. I'm not sure if that's a fitness thing or a tactics thing, or they were they were trying to win and they were throwing bodies forward, uh, thinking they were going to get through. I'm not sure realistically how you know they, they came about, but it was just at the end of games, they just seemed to drop off just a tad and the other teams got on top, which obviously ultimately cost them... A, their, their place in the knockouts. If they made through the knockouts, they 
you know, wouldn't have done anything anyways. Uh, they would have been well, situated typical, against it would have been France. The typical, it would have been the typical Mexico thing. They would have made the round of 16 and get knocked out. Exactly. Which they've done, yeah. I think, in the last like five, six World Cups in a row. Yeah, yeah definitely. Like, if they're playing France in the next next phase they got through, they wouldn't have got any th- further. It just came up to that toss of a coin at the end. Uh, Poland went through, Mexico went out. Vice versa, it didn't really matter because they were the, virtually the same squad. Unfortunate because I think it could be the end of uh, not Mexican dominance because they're not really dominant in World Cups, but high-level play from Mexico for a little brief period here until some new players come in. Obviously, they've got a few younger guys who are in their early 20s, uh, but that old contingent that's there and they've been there like Guadado and uh, names escape me. Um, Jimenez. Herrera, Herrera, Jimenez. They they might play in a next uh, confederation tournament, but they're not going to be at the next World Cup. So they've got a long way to, to go before that World Cup comes around and they can improve and hopefully they don't concede as many goals at the end because they'll have a younger, more youthful squad. But at the end of the day, uh, they did solid enough for what we predicted uh, and a, a decent C for what they what they showed on the field. One team that did the team that did manage to get out of the group at the expense of Mexico and Saudi Arabia, Luke was Poland, and it has to be said that while their defense, sorry, while their attack was disappointing, it was actually their defense that act, that stood up throughout this tournament. Yeah, they had they have some good defenders, obviously very good goalkeeping rotation. Uh, Lewandowski, he wasn't non-existent, but he doesn't score goals outside the box. I'm going to say it till the day I die. Um, he, <laughs> he just couldn't get he just couldn't get into get into the games because people understood how Poland were going to play. They knew that Lewandowski is a guy who's going to be up top. He's going to get the ball fed to him at his feet or in the air. If we can just put someone on him and just negate, maybe he can be twenty percent less than what he usually is for past Bayern Munich, Dortmund, very past, and obviously Barcelona now just scoring goals for fun then Poland aren't going to be adequately equipped to do what they need to do to win games. And winning games comes down to scoring goals and not conceding. They didn't concede as much as I would have expected, but they just didn't score as much as I would have expected either. And they got out of the group, as we've said, because of that Mexico situation, but we predicted it pretty much to a T. One person, Dom, who I think, did stand up at this World Cup, and we have to give him credit for his performance. Watch if Sydney was outstanding. Oh, yeah, he played well. I think Poland in general, we knew what to expect from them. They'd give Lewandowski arguably, you know, his send-off that he needed. He got his goal. They were pretty uneventful side. We knew that. Going into this tournament, Chesney is a world-class keeper uh, in his own right, a keeper who I, you know, I think has received a lot of stick over his career, but has always kind of shown up and proven that he can be a a decent match winner. But I think with Poland, much like a lot of teams in this sort of in their sort of similar scenario, they need to, I guess, move on from the Lewandowski era. They need. Um, what's it called? Uh, a breath of fresh air. They're, they're too two-dimensional. We all expect them to go through 
you know, the simple kind of processes of just passing it to him and then seeing if he can do something. They actually kind of need to play a bit more as a team again and see if that can produce results for them. Until then, I'm not so sure they're capable of. Their window is definitely closed for the time being now that he's in the sort of back end of his career. Um, but he'll, you know, I'm sure still score plenty of goals for Barcelona and stuff like that and and be that man for them when they need him to be. We then move on to Group D. Dom got 50%. Luke and myself got, ze- got zero. Uh-oh. Well, actually, yeah, we got zero. And for very different reasons with for what happened here, we start off with France, who Dom predicted would finish first, and they got first. But it has to be said that even though they made the final, geez, they had to work hard for it. And if it wasn't for, I think, the form of their midfield, they really I don't think were that impressive. They got an A minus from me, but they did well considering that a third of their squad was out injured. Amazing job. Yep. Amazing job. Uh, I'll quickly jump in here because yeah, definitely. I think they uh, A plus. I mean, with the you know they missed their their best stars. You, you can argue that they would have been better with Benzema in the team, but personally, I think he's the most arrogant person alive and doesn't deserve to be anywhere near a team, a national team in particular. They've won without him before and they almost did it again. They missed some, you know, plenty of quality in the midfield. The revolutionised Antoine Griezmann in centre midfield was one of the greatest tactical masterstrokes I've seen in a World Cup tournament. That was like putting Joel Linton in centre mid. Um, right, like, awesome bit of work from them. They fell short in the end. They, again, I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't want to call it what it is, but every time a team played Argentina, they just didn't, they just didn't want to turn up. And it, and it only took, an, it took them 80 minutes till they finally turned up. If they turned on 20 minutes earlier, they would have floored Argentina in that game, France. Um, they played better football. They're more entertaining. Kylian Mbappe, I know Messi won the player of the tournament, but we all know who the player of the tournament was, was Kylian Mbappe. I thought Messi was very good and he did very Messi well with team. But <laughs> I don't know if Um But I thought they had a wonderful tournament. They were very unlucky not to go back to back. In the end, it was really just Emi Martinez's brilliance in the, between the sticks uh, that kept them uh, from, from winning it this year. And I think they are primed they are primed to go back again in four years' time with the squad that if that's the young squad that they've just put on the on the table for twenty twenty two, imagine what it's gonna be like in twenty twenty six. It's gonna be ridiculous. They've got ten more players who are under the age of twenty five who they could slot in as well. Uh they're just insane. A I'm giving them an A plus. It's probably one of the biggest hoodoos in world football defending the World Cup title. Most teams get destroyed or underperformed to an F not getting out of their group um, after they've won the cup. They made the final. They made it look easy getting to the final. Uh, I didn't really ever think they were going to lose realistically up until the first 20 minutes of the final itself. Uh, Mbappe was superb. Adrian Rabio, remember that guy? Everyone thought he was done. He was terrible. We didn't want to play last World Cup. He came through. He was sensational. 
to cover the likes of Kante and Pogba being out. Dembele, uh, he he was all right. He had a shocking, shocking first stint in the final, uh, which sucked for him because he's been really really good and he's had some injuries that have you know seemed to have gone away. He's been doing well at Barcelona as well. Griezmann revolutionised, as Dom mentioned. Uh, one sad point was uh, Lucas Hernandez getting uh, his ACL torn in the first game. Uh, that was a shame for him, but he did get deputized by his brother, Teo, very well, and he was he was superb as well, overlapping down the left. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a side that I'm going to look, look at, and in four years I'm going to look at and see it's the exact same side. They've just got four more years of experience, um, which is scary to think because obviously they could blood in four new four or five new players in those four years that could be just as good. You know, two years ago, we had no idea who Aurelian Chuameni was. Um, Kamavinga is still under the age of 20. Uh, he didn't get much playing time. But as Dom said, Benzema shouldn't have been around the squad. Uh, Olivier Giroud and Mbappe just are simply superb next to each other. They know how to feed off each other. One can't run. One has the pace of the flash. Um, and they both played outstanding football going forward uh, and they just they just look like they're soulmates on the pitch um, which is great to see can we take a moment as well to acknowledge I think one person who I thought deserves to get a mention is probably the coach of the World Cup and it's Didier Deschamps yeah like this man is probably the best tactical national coach in the world right now those two substitutions he made in the final, those those two guys up front, um, was a Thurman and I can't remember the other guy's name. Uh, Maury, I can't remember. I didn't watch much of him before the World Cup. Bringing them on absolutely changed the game. He took two players in the first half. Who does that? Like, what even is that? Subbing people off in the first half? Gosh. And they just changed the game. Argentina couldn't handle the power and pace those two had. Uh, they were lucky to get away with it. Obviously, ended up 3-3, and then shenanigans happened um, right at the end with Martinez making a save in the 124th minute and then saving those penalties. Uh, but every decision he made from the group stage to the knockout phase to the final was spot on for a manager. Surely, Dom, a club has to pick up Deschamps at some point, and I'm still quite annoyed that Juventus, of all clubs, passed on Deschamps, considering how much uh, a legend he is at La Vecchia Signora. It's an interesting point you make because I would, as an international coach, would never want to leave the international job. You get paid just as well as a manager uh, who actually runs a club full-time and you get to watch as much football as you please. You just pretty much go around watching uh, your national players play and you you know you get to pick who you are like your own like fantasy manager um you only have to work you know maybe what four times a year at best maybe five times a year at best when the matches are on and then you have a big couple of big tournaments every couple of years i mean it's a pretty cruisy job i wouldn't want to move but the idea of being an international manager and being a club manager is quite different because if we look at germany germany who we get to later who brought in hansi flick after his brilliant uh, work with Bayern Munich in that Champions League run and had a couple of um, years ago. He has not been successful. So really, will we be cut out for Nash, uh, club football? I'm, I'm not so sure. It'd be interesting to see. But 
I think you'll. I think he's enjoying the role too much as the national manager of France, but to bother having to go, you know, coach a team twenty four seven. The only I thing that could lure him away is the the challenge of something. But the dominance he's showing with this France national side. Why would anyone want to leave that? No one from Barcelona in those and Real Madrid in those years that was so dominant ever wanted to leave that club. They were willing to stay there forever because of how good they were. Everyone wants to be around it. And Deschamps, what 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 incentive does he have to go to a club to take on a challenge when he's got this national side, which could be the same players for the next decade? And I think that's probably going to be the, the counter-argument there, isn't it? He's got his squad that's going to be there. It's like Joachim Lowe with Germany back about yep. 12 years ago. Yeah, he would not want to leave that that squad because he's going he's going that well with them. Let's move on to the next team. And it is probably one of the biggest stunners from the World Cup. And boy, am I proud to say that a couple of us here were wrong in predicting that they wouldn't get out of this group. Australia, take a bow. Definitely A++. No one predicted them to get out, except Dom, I guess. Um, that could just be that could have just been the heart talking, not the not the actual <laughs> yeah. tactics of what could have happened. <laughs> but that was simply superb, Australia. Um, Matthew Leckie, as I jokingly said, player of the tournament. He he was fabulous. He can't really run as much as he could, but he was very very good for. How, how did he end up in the worst? How did he end up in some? Website that, is the that worst. was just someone having a having a laugh, having a laugh because he he was very very good. He was clearly Australia's best player going forward. Um, running, he got back in defence as well. He worked tire, tirelessly in every every game they had, and you know he might have duffed that goal that went in that got us through. But who cares? It got us through, you know. And that's just something we can go with, and hopefully. You know, next World Cup comes around, there'll be others younger in there, like Quoll. He might be very, very good by that stage. And uh, they can once again get out of the group. And I was just in shock. I couldn't believe it. But I was very, very happy that my predictions were wrong. And Dom, the, what, the other big credit from this from the World Cup for Australia, big Harry Souter. Hey, give that man a Premier League contract. Yeah, he was um, he was fantastic, wasn't he? Um, he, he's got to be up there with the best defender and the one of the best defenders in the World Cup from his performances. Oh, 100%. And he had a wonderful tournament. He lifted the side. It made them stronger. Matt Leckie, look, I've never been Matt Leckie's number one fan as a football player. I think he kind of epitomises for me what's kind of been wrong with Australian football for a, a period of time, which is if you're fast, you're good. Um, you know, he yeah. can't really pass. His finishing is usually pretty atrocious, but there's no doubting his work ethic and his speed. And uh, It was actually a shame to actually see that this is probably one of the first tournaments where he kind of looked like he had a bit of all, had a bit all of, bit all of it, but didn't quite I guess have the, um, the pace like he used to have in, in him. But he had a wonderful tournament. He obviously scored a goal against Denmark, which was very special. Um, for everyone to see. It was a huge result seeing him score that goal and obviously put Australia kind of back on the footballing map, which is great to see. But, you know, 
Australia had a great tournament. I'm really glad that they got as far as they did. Did they play the most attractive brand of football? No, not really. But they were, you know, did us proud. If anything, it was actually disappointing that they produced, uh, that they didn't get past Argentina in because the opportunity mm. was there to be had and it wasn't quite taken. And that was uh, kind of one of the disappointments, I guess, in the end because. He was, uh, you know, they were so close and oh, the two, they could have taken it. That mistake was just, and that mistake that Ryan produced was, you yeah. know, really poor. And I guess in some respects, it's always been his downfall, Matty Ryan. He's re- always been bad with his feet. And it was kind of what cost Ange Postacoglu his job years ago. It's kind of what I always pinpointed it on. Old Ange was trying to play this ticky-tack of football play out from the back, but they just didn't have the cattle to to do it. And part of it was was Ryan not being able to play mm. with his feet. And it, sh- again, it came back to Horn Australia, unfortunately, in the end. Um, but Even with that mistake, they still had two, two or three good opportunities, more than Argentina probably had in that last 25 minutes to get through that game in the knockout. Uh, it could have changed the landscape of, what could have happened after that for the other teams as well. But to be that close to, to, to beating the eventual winners, just like in 2006 with Italy, you know, it's a who do for Australia. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. They were that close to getting out of that group, that knockout stage um, or getting through, which was amazing. Well, let's go from one of the fairy tale stories of the competition to the, one of the disappointments of the World Cup, Denmark, you know, some of us thought that they would at least make it out of the group stages. One of us thought they would win the entire group. Oh, no. And (laughs) they ended up finishing stone, motherless last, and really, Dom, it has to be said that they were, I think, of all the major nations, at least the ones in the top 20, probably the biggest disappointment of the lot. Yeah, oh, 100%. They were pretty average, let's say. They didn't play well. Uh, look, I th- hindsight's a beautiful thing, but I, I, I always kind of said that their run on the Euros the year before was kind of off the back of that very unfortunate but kind of very kind of motivating situation with Christian Eriksen. And their squad was probably a little overrated. Uh, he came back and was still really good, but they just weren't the same side. Because that motivation wasn't there. And then it, it was down to really just raw ability. And in the end, they um, fell short. They were poor against Australia. They were poor against uh, Tunisia. They, were, they got unlucky against France, let's face it. But realistically, they should have qualified through this group stage, and they didn't. And they were bogging on as well. I remember that article, I think that salty news article I saw about how they called us average. They're like average Australia beat Denmark or something like that. And I'm like, settle down, guys. You lost to Tunisia, right? Like you finished last in the group. Like that's really poor. And this wasn't a group of death, mind you. So thanks for coming. (laughs) You've given them thanks for coming. Yeah, I just thought the salty comment from their media was was just deserving of me firing back. Is is this Luke? Is this the uh, the moment where we could have pulled out Nick Kyrgios and just gone and enjoy your flight home? <laughs> well, there was well, let's the- be honest. Let's be honest with this team. 
the one thing we you and I did say about that we did say about Denmark that was going to be a major issue was did they have a number nine? And it was clear in the end the answer was no. No, they definitely didn't. They threw Cornelius on at the end um, in that Australia game to try and negate the the power and the aerial dominance that Harry Suter put on them. Uh, but they just didn't have anyone going forward. They dropped some of their players that were playing in the Euros. Uh, not dropped them, but just put them on the bench, like Damsgaard, um, who was very, very good in the Euros. But, like, what, what were they doing? They, they didn't look enthused uh, in any of the games, realistically. They fought hard, but they didn't get anything out of it from what they were doing on the field. They didn't have anyone to put the ball into in the box. Like we mentioned, they didn't have a striker or, or a forward there. The back was okay, like you know, Christensen's all right, but he's not he's not a well beater. Um, and they they brought in some good subs. Simon Kea, I don't know why he didn't play as, as much. He was like their spiritual leader in the Euros. He's still playing very well at AC Milan. Uh, he didn't get much game time. Pierre Emil Hoybier, he he was very good. He was one of the shining lights in the midfield, but one defensive midfielder can't do everything for the side defensively protecting the back line and then obviously working up front as well. There's very, very few people who can do that in the entire world uh, of football. Ericsson, we all know his past. He was very, very poor, even though he'd been sensational since he came back from that uh, you know, medical episode in the Euros. But I predicted them to come first. I'm an idiot. I'll admit it. That was just a dumb prediction. I think I even said there might be a chance of them making the final. Let's pretend none of that happened. We just hit the neuralizer from Men, Men in Black and we just wipe it from memory. <laughs> Good answer. It's never, Good never happened. Answer. Never happened. I was always for Australia. I never, I never doubted the home nation. Well, let's move on very quickly then in that case to the last team and not much to really say about it is Tunisia. Um, a couple of us predicted, well, I think all of us predicted them to finish fourth. They ended up finishing third, but it had to be said, Luke, that they finished third under some fairly facetious circumstances where France basically threw their third string team on just for the lols. Yeah, that was weird. I don't know what France are doing. I know they like obviously knew they were going to get through and they could have just trounced anyone. Um, <laughs> they just gave him that little bit of hope. You're saying there's a chance? Just give us a little chance. And then obviously uh, it didn't work out how Tunisia wanted and France still advanced and, and got that W there. Um very, very good for a lower, what do you say, a lower uh, tiered African nation, um, which is pretty good by them. Uh, they did quite well. They didn't lose by too much each game. Uh, and they fought hard, but exactly what we predicted out of them. Dom? Yeah, look, there's not much to really say about Tunisia. They put in a decent uh, showing. They were as kind of defensive as we expected them to be. And... Really, we're very close to causing one of the upsets of the tournament by being the team to progress through. I think even if they had made it through and not the Australians, I think that would have been a bigger upset. Unfortunately, uh, for them, it wasn't the case. Unfortunately, for uh, all Australians like ourselves, Matt Leckie produced the goods against Denmark on the counter, uh, and we went through to the round of 16 to face Argentina. Interestingly, um, uh, you know, again, you'll probably see them back there in the tour, like somewhere in the near future. But I think they finished in what I would argue is probably a fair position in the end. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is full time on part one of our wrap-up of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. We'll be back next week to finish it all off with the, the last 
eight groups. There's uh, last four groups, plenty to get through, and we are very excited to be able to talk through that as we kick off 2023. My thanks to Dom Rizzuto and Luke Scarley for joining us here tonight. We're going to come back and do it again, aren't we, gentlemen? Can't wait for it. I'm looking forward to it as well. Just not long now until it's all wrapped up and we can move on to the next tournament. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download, podcast.com, triplehfm.com.au, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of Dom Rizzuto and Luke Scarley, I'm Anthony Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night. Thank you for joining us for Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. You can also find us streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcasts.com and all good podcast and streaming sites.